All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Meathead University. This is episode three. I'm one of the co-hosts, Max Strausing, and I'm joined by... Shay Grocious. One of the other co-hosts. Yep, the other one, the dumb one. <laughs> the dumb one. <laughs> anyway, so I was gone in the last podcast. Shay did a podcast on nutrition. Highly recommend checking it out. It was very, very thorough. I also appreciated your little uh, blurb at the end of me. Oh, yeah, you're uh, Well, I mean it, too, so... <laughs> Got to throw that in there. So where were you, Max? Why weren't you in episode three or two, actually? Yeah, my bad. Yeah, so actually I decided to kind of, you know, just take a break. I ended up uh, taking a sleeping bag and an air mattress and I went and slept in the sewers for about a week. Uh, I just really need to take a break from society and kind of just get my eyes out of the sunlight. Decompress a little bit. Decompress a little bit. The stresses of bodybuilding. (laughs) The stresses of bodybuilding. You just have to take that time every now and then. You know, man, that sounds pretty... uh, Sounds like a great time. I might have to consider taking one of those breaks coming up soon. Dude, highly recommend it. Definitely resensitized my body to both training and also just real life. So, yeah, um, yeah definitely excited to be back, though. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, in reality, <laughs> in reality. Um, I was actually on vacation visiting my sister and, well, my brother-in-law out in uh, California, Eureka, California, if you guys know that place. Uh, it's just Northern California. Went and explored a bunch of things over there. Saw the ocean for the first time. Saw the redwoods. Super tall fucking trees if you don't Wait, know what you, the redwoods are. that was the first are. time you saw the ocean yeah. in general? Ever. Yeah. Ever. Dang. That's yeah. cool. That's awesome. Honestly, first impressions of it are, it's scary as shit. It's a big place, man. Yeah. A lot and of shit out there. A lot of creepy creatures. and Yeah. We saw, like, seals in the surf, and there was, like, a dead sea lion on the beach, and, uh... I'd say, unfortunately, we didn't see any whales or anything like that, or orcas. No. That would be cool to see, but definitely not while I'm in the water. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's good that you were able to get away, because, I mean, yeah. just with school coming up, and uh, obviously, like, your training, and mm-hmm. uh, your new coaching stuff, it was, pro- it was probably just a really good time to kind of take a step back and just mm-hmm. kind of take refresh. things in, refresh a little bit, reset, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, kind of get back at it then when you get get home or when now that you're home kind of yeah get, yeah also it's like over a the, restart button you know you know so yeah right yeah yeah like over that time too i uh i, I took completely that entire vac- vacation off from training too i had one training day over the whole time which was probably just for your uh mental mental state yeah, yeah mental I, state <laughs> i just need to get in there just absolutely tear things up because i just hate life in general <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, it was super nice going on vacation, kind of taking a break from everything, and you know it was pretty pretty nice. Yeah. That's How was your week while I was gone, Jay? Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I took on the responsibility of trying to shoot a solo podcast, and it was a lot harder than I expected. Uh, so, yeah. But we got it done. Yeah. It took me like all week to do. So if you haven't listened to it. I'd appreciate it if you did. It would make me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, How many takes was it? Yeah. So like the, it was, it was fun. It was frustrating, but it was fun. Uh, I've never like really recorded myself like that. Like the, like the first podcast that me and you did together or you and I did together was like the first time I ever like recorded in general. Mm-hmm. So then having to do it like by myself, like literally giving like, a presentation, it felt like yeah. was weird. Uh, but yeah, so I started Monday. And I got everything, or no, the first time I recorded, I sounded good, like, sounded normal, like, okay to listen to, you know, wasn't boring, but I missed a lot of shit that I wanted to talk about, so then I was like, all right, I'll try again the next night. Uh, The next night I tried, I hit everything I wanted to talk about, 
but I sounded like a robot because I had more of a script. So I'm like, ah, oh, shit, don't like that one. <laughs> Deleted that. Wednesday night, I couldn't even get past the first two minutes without messing up. So I was like, shit, I'm not going to try anymore because I'm just frustrated. Uh, Thursday night, I was finally able to do it. And it came out okay. I was happy, I was happy enough that I posted it. So it was, I, uh, I think it was really solid. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, it was a little harder than I thought. But it was fun. I learned a lot. And, uh, yeah, that's how my week went. But yeah. other than that, training was same old. Uh, it was the second week of my mesocycle, so wasn't getting too intense yet. But definitely nice. definitely fun to start moving some weight again. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. again just the next week? Yeah, more than, <laughs> as Greg, you said, I would say harder than last time. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. Uh yeah, but yeah, anyways, that's just a little catch-up action. Today, we're going to be talking about um, how we train for bodybuilding. We're going to go over a, a bunch of different things, a bunch of different important variables. First thing we're going to start talking about is, or should we just kind of give a little outline of like the subtopics within this episode? Sure, sure. Because we don't have timestamps, so we should at least maybe give people a brief idea of yeah. what will be discussed. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, so... Uh, some, well, the subtopics will be uh, volume, so how much volume should you have within your training, uh, frequency, uh, some other things we'll be talking about is like intensity and proximity to failure, how hard should you be training, and like how that will be adjusted with volume, and then that will probably be a majority of the episode because there's a lot that goes into that, mm-hmm. and then uh, we have two other kind of topics we want to discuss that maybe there's a little more, I wouldn't say disagreement on, but just two sides that me and Max kind of maybe not 100% sure on, and I think mm-hmm. would be just good to touch base on. Good food for thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so you want to, should we start with the volume thing then? Yeah. So the first question we wanted to kind of answer is, uh, how much volume should be, should you be doing for bodybuilding training, right? So I'd say, like, number one, it definitely depends on the different body parts um, and then what kind of exercises you use. For those body parts, um, so let's say, you know, you can do a shit ton of leg extensions and be cr- be pretty good from a fatigue perspective. Yeah, you're going to be able to reach failure probably in a leg extension pretty well, you know. Right. So determining volume with that should be yeah crazy hard. And it kind of depends a lot on, like, how, how much fatigue each exercise brings, mm-hmm. like how much volume, total volume you can do. Shit. Because <laughs> it depends a lot on... Um, like, like the volume you do depends on how recovered you are and just to make sure that you are um, not exceeding, well, the SRA curve stimulation, yeah, or yeah. stimulation recovery adaptation, just so you're not like sore in your next session. So yeah, you'll be able to recover important. session to session. Yeah. So do you, should we just kind of explain how like we go about that within our training? Because yeah. I feel like that'd be so a that, good point. Like that'd be an easier way to explain it because like mm-hmm. we could sit here and ramble on of what gen- people should generally, generally do, do, but it's so yeah. variant and stuff, right. person to person. So, yeah. So, well, Shane and I, we've both been training for how many years now for you? Uh, well, for like bodybuilding, yeah, like a year. But a year. in general, I mean, we kind of covered that in the first episode. I've been training for a while now. Yep. But so, like, our volume requirements are based on us being probably like intermediate lifters. You'd say. Yeah, I would say. For I'd sure. probably say we're even like. I, I think we could even argue that we're early intermediates. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We there's, definitely have yeah, lots of time, time to grow. There's lots of time to grow for sure. Yeah. Um, so volume for muscle groups, uh, you know, really depends on how big the muscle group is. Um, and, like, for us, uh, well, for me at least, I usually start, like, 
why, why don't we start with leg training? Like, what does our leg training volume look like? Yeah. I, I kind of want to touch, touch... Should we explain, like, like how you, like, find that volume, though, too? Yeah. That's kind of, like, what we're going to talk about anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Do you want to start or should I start on that? Go ahead. You can start. Yeah, so leg training volume. Uh, It's... It's kind of one of those things like when you first start training, it's like okay, well, where the like where what is my volume that like my body can tolerate or my legs can tolerate, and it's kind of at first trial and error, I would say. I mean, there's definitely like general guidelines like, like like the quads and like the glutes and the hamstrings are all pretty big muscles. Uh, they make up the majority of your legs, obviously, and uh, so bigger muscles are gonna be way more fatiguing. So the volume required is typically, like, not as high as, like, a bicep or your shoulders. So, like, for example, like, if you go, if if you're new to the gym and you go and train, train, like, you go and train legs and you do 10 sets of squats and each set, you're, like, dying and, like, pretty close to failure or whatever, like, you're probably, like, you're probably going to be sore as shit after that. Would you agree, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, now... Now, like, knowing that, like, okay, you kind of, like, have to, like, record this stuff and, like, write it down or keep mm-hmm. it in your mind. So, it's like, all right, on Monday, I did 10 sets of squats, and I was sore for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, like, volume-wise, that's an indicator that 10 sets is probably way too much. Yeah. So, it's kind of, like, a place to start in terms of, like, you kind of just have to start, you know? I feel like the fundamentals to figuring out where your volume is, like, there's two points that you need to stick to. Number one is definitely going to be tracking everything because if you're not tracking shit, like there's no way you're going to be able to put an exact number exactly. on. Exactly, you you don't have anywhere to adjust from. Exactly, you don't have anywhere to adjust from. You have no data to say like, okay, well this is probably what my maximum recoverable volume is because I've been sore as shit all week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the and then the other like fundamental I'd say is to have good technique. Yep. Um, this is probably something that. Well, it definitely comes before determining your volume. volume. Would, yeah, I kind of jumped ahead of good. I kind of jumped ahead of the gun there. Yeah, and we can get back to the technique thing because that's obviously like yes. that's the most that's first and foremost. But when I said ten squats, like don't actually do that. Like we, me and Max both agree that starting on the lower end of things. Yes. So like, if you don't know your volume, and this is still after getting technique down, I just want to cover it up because I mm-hmm. felt bad for saying ten sets. But like, start with two sets. Yeah. And then see how you feel the next day and then yeah. go from there. But anyways, back to technique because that's most well, important. Well, right? Well, let's, let's just talk about volume for a little bit. Volume for a little bit? Okay. And, and then, then we'll come back to technique. Sure, so, sure. Like, now that we got like that caveat out of the way that, you know, tracking and technique come first, um, as far as volume goes, like, we would probably both generally recommend starting with minimal effective volume. So, right. like, the, the minimum of volume you need in order to actually – Provide enough stimulus to provide an overload to provide an adaptation. To get big. Right. To get big. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. That's the, yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the end goal, right? Yeah, that's the end goal. So uh, the reason you start with such low volume is that uh, it allows you to have a certain, like, like have some time in order to accumulate volume throughout a mesocycle. Mm-hmm. So you're not starting at, like, like a super high, like high volume for something, and then you're, like, Fried. super just, yeah, sore like the entire rest of the week you don't want to be deloading after a week of training exactly yeah yeah yeah, we want to be able to start low enough that one we can still get some really good adaptations out of it uh we're not accumulating a ton of fatigue um and we're able to continue to progress week to week whether that be in sets in reps in intensity um things like that in volume 
um, over the weeks just so we like have that method of progress instead of just starting at the top end. Yeah, and kind of back to like starting out with your volume, like kind of what Max was saying, like, always like start on the lower ends of things because mm-hmm. I'm pretty much just reiterating what Max said. It gives you room to play. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you do two sets of squats or whatever, and like maybe like you're not sore for you don't get sore at all from that. Or and I'm not saying soreness is like the key indicator of like if you trained, mm-hmm. but like maybe as like someone new to it, like you probably should be getting sore from yeah just from the novelty of the exercise. But starting on that lower end of things definitely allows you to make little adjustments up instead mm-hmm. of starting with a shit ton of volume and then having to deload because you don't know. Yeah, then you just kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you don't know. Like, yeah, ten sets is probably gonna make anyone sore, but like, right? Do you really need that much? Yeah. So that's another thing is like, how much do you really need? So, so, so it's kind of like trying to be as efficient with it as possible. Like, yeah. doing as little, well, kind of doing as little as possible for the most um, bang for your buck. Bang for your buck, exactly. Right. Yeah. The most bang for your buck. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole, and that's just. That's a that's an overall arching theme for everything in this sport is just mm-hmm. kind of like doing the little like the most like the smallest effective dose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Or or at least starting with that. Yeah, so, at least so starting with that. So you then have so you can build up from there. Yeah. yeah. And and then be like doing super high volumes in your last week and just frying yourself. Yeah. That, that's what the last week is for. That's why it's called Hell Week. We all know yep. that accumulation. You need to, yes. you need to accumulate over time and yeah, but. I think there's something to be said, though, that, like, maybe in the early years of training, like, or when you're first starting out, like, it, it's not bad to have those sessions of, like, where you maybe kill yourself and go way overboard. Because, like, if you don't know what your MRV is, like, how do you know what your, I mean, like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, you're kind of talking, touching on intensity a little bit? Uh, no, I would say more, like, MRV in terms of, oh, like of ha- volume. Like, still. having, like, workouts where you're doing tons and tons of sets. Yeah, because, like, I'm sure we've both been there where, like, we just do, like, so much shit that we probably didn't need to do. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, we're fried for, like, a week after. And I'm yeah. saying, like, knowing what that limit is, I think, is important because, like, mm-hmm. well, obviously, so you know what that is. Mm-hmm. So then, like, towards the end of your mesocycle, you can push back past that for that week. Because, mm-hmm. like, if you don't know what your MRV is, how do you know that you're giving it your all? Yeah. So like I think it's important that like if you, like in the early stages like again back to like take like tracking like what you do and mm-hmm. uh recording your uh workouts mezzo to mezzo and stuff like it's important to like track those like super intense not intense like super high volume sessions that were way too much because like that can kind of maybe be a rough indicate or a rough estimate of like what your MRV is you know or like mm-hmm. what's past that and yeah. knowing like what's past that will allow you to get to that at the end of your mezzo mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah because I, I i feel like i see people that like have like these training blocks or mezzos set up and then like where their volume accumulates over time mm-hmm. but it's like oh yeah like this was hell week zero ir well that's intensity more so but like my volume is maxed out like my mrv for volume is maxed out or whatever but like how do you know if you've never trained at your mrv right you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you have to train it. Like, I feel like you have to experience your MRV or, like, what you can't recover from mm-hmm. before you actually, like, have a true progression in volume. Yeah. I, that's kind of confusing. Do you know what I'm Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of confusing what I'm saying, but, like... It's, it's kind of, like, just determining where you're, like, where the rev limiter is. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's kind of the same along the lines of, like, 3IR not being hard training. It's, mm-hmm. like... Well, if you've actually trained to a zero IRR, 
you would know yeah. that two or three RIR is hard. Yeah. Which is a topic that we'll talk about a little bit later. Whoa, whoa there, whoa there. Yeah, I know. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> um, also, something we wanted to just kind of dial back and talk about is the technique. Um, so there's kind of a lot of, well, with all of this, there's a ton of, uh, I don't want to say arguments, but a lot of like intellectual discussion as to what's best. Um, and as far as like technique goes, for the most part, doing full range of motion, getting a deep stretch in the movements, getting a really good contraction, um, taking the movements nice and slow. Yeah. Uh, and not just like pounding out the movements just to pound out the reps, you know? Yeah, and establishing like kind of bro science to say with that good mind muscle connection because yeah, exactly like that stuff is important. I mm-hmm. I, I, I said that like mind muscle connection definitely comes after having like that'll first, come with technique. Yeah, good technique pushing a failure, mm-hmm. um, and and like, like knowing where you're gonna go with your volume and things like that. Um, but then, like, like mind muscle connection. Just what I wanted to say is that it's not like a determining factor, like if you're, you know, getting a really good workout or not. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Um, but yeah, the, there's definitely a lot to go into good technique. But I feel like that's definitely something you have to nail down before you even think about doing or like figuring out where your volume landmarks are, for example. Because if you have shitty technique like, your MRV is probably going to be way higher than you would have expected. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll probably end up just being overly systemically fatigued and just just absolutely screw yourself because you're not actually stimulating the target muscle. Instead, you're just, whatever, uh, uh, stimulating your L5 vertebrae instead. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, to put what Max is saying into, like, context, like, for me, experience-wise, like, so, and that me and Max both figured this out and, uh, it's kind of funny because like we figured, I feel like we figured it out around like the same time, a couple like two or three months ago. Anyways, uh, with hamstrings, so like mm-hmm. I used to do a bunch of, like I used to do like a decent amount of hamstring volume and like I would like they would definitely get like sore and like I could definitely tell I was working them, mm-hmm. but like I was doing like like I was probably working more of like the ten to eleven sets per session for hamstrings, which isn't crazy high, but like. Without that was per session. Yeah, that was per session, Holy which which Lord. is kind of a lot. Yeah, especially for hamstrings now. Yeah. But like taking that back to technique, it was probably like the reason I was doing so much is because my technique wasn't on point. So like when I was doing my stiff legs, like I was probably the the form wasn't there. So like yeah, I was getting a stimulus to my hamstring, but I was probably taking a lot of the load on my back and stuff. And it's just mm-hmm. like in order to get that correct like stimulus and like to reach or like. Where like, bring your hamstrings to failure. Like I needed way more volume, mm-hmm. you know. So, where I'm going with this now is that like now like now I train I, I think I have like I have like six sets per session, mm-hmm. of hamstrings, and I I only train hamstrings once a week, like or a, like a dedicated session to hamstrings, mm-hmm. and in that dedicated session I only have like I only have six sets. I have three sets of RDLs and I have, uh, three sets of hamstring curls mm-hmm. like seated hamstring curls but the thing is the technique is like my technique is way better i like took a step back focused on the technique of my rdls and like really focusing on like the connection in the seated hand curls mm-hmm. and like my hamstrings are destroyed now from only six sets versus 11 so it's like yeah once you get technique down that's going to really help you determine your mrv yeah. volume wise definitely and that's kind of for any muscle too i feel like 
So one thing that we can add to technique too is that, uh, like the reason like hamstrings, for example, is such a low MRV is because um, they're they're mechanically positioned on your body in such a way that they um, are able to be subjected to a lot of load and a lot of stretch under load, mm-hmm. uh, which causes a ton of fatigue and also just causes a lot of muscle disruption. So that's why like with hamstrings, you can't, you know, do like tw- 20 sets a week. So like if you're doing 10 or 12 sets per session with hamstrings, yeah. and not, like twice a week. That's crazy. Like, yeah. Th- there's no way that someone could do that with good technique and being close to failure. failure. Like, there's got to be some sort of loophole in there that. Yeah. And there was for me and it was my form and technique. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Well, would you say that you were pushing to failure on those or like close to failure at all? Yeah, it was, but like there was, li- like you said, there was loopholes and there was other limiting factors. That's why I needed so much volume to actually yeah. like bring my hamstrings to failure because like my lower back was like fatiguing on me mm-hmm. a lot. So it was like, I just was like more sets, more sets yeah, and just other things like that. But once I dialed in my like form and stuff, then like mm-hmm. all the, like the load was like strictly on my hamstrings, you know, like obviously like my back and stuff is still engaged and whatnot. Yeah. But most of it was directed to the target muscle, which mm-hmm. became the limiting factor, which lowered my MRV yep. and my volume. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's all we should touch on for technique for now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's not a whole lot to it. It's just like, don't be a jackass. Just like. Yeah. And like use the exercise is not as an exercise, but as a means to target a muscle yeah like right. and if you're starting out with a new exercise don't look at it right away as like obviously you want to like focus on like the mind muscle connection and like connecting to it and getting a proper stretch and whatnot but like almost like look at it as like you're practicing it like you're not using it to grow right away because like when you introduce a new exercise the chances that your form is going to be perfect right away are pretty low so mm-hmm. worrying about getting a really good stimulus should come after you have the form down. So at first, like, think of it as practice. Like, you're practicing getting the form down, and then we start adding load and volume and stuff to mm-hmm. uh, target the muscle. Yeah, and, like, each session, like, just to, like, confound on that a little bit, like, each session is, um, like, a performance, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, you go in, you execute your movements exactly how you want them to be executed, yeah, exactly intense. how you yeah. want to target your muscles. Yep. Um, and it's not like you just come in like, oh, I got some bent rows, just going to do these. No, you're fucking using that shit yeah. to target what you want to target and, and use it as a stimulus. Right. right. And yeah, exactly. And I kind of just, like when every rep that I do, like I'm literally thinking about the muscles. Like if I'm doing a lat pull down or something, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my lats, like they drive my elbows down and whatnot, you know, yeah. like I'm thinking about the actual, like like what is going on mm-hmm. instead of just like mindlessly just fucking moving mm-hmm. weight. Yeah. I would say that like knowing anatomy too is huge. Yeah. Like if you know like where your muscles attach and things like that and what their actual uh, like movements are and what they're supposed to do, then like that, de- that definitely can help you a lot in questioning like different uh, angles of like, let's say your arms or things like that. Um, just to make sure that you're actually targeting what you're trying to work. Yeah, you know definitely. I mean? Yeah. So, like, I feel like a lot of times people don't think about the anatomy when, like, that's literally what we're doing when we're in the gym. We're putting a stress on the muscle, and if we don't know the anatomy at all, like, how the the lats are attached to our back at all, then, like, 
I feel like you're just kind of just stacking a lot of things you're just moving away at that point exactly it's like it's like I see a lot which rows are can be a tricky exercise but I see a lot of people like do a bent over barbell row and they're just using their straight like traps and fucking like rhomboids and stuff and yeah swinging around with their angle like way up here yeah they're like damn near standing straight up and it's like I mean, like, you could do a high roll like that if you want to target your upper back muscles and stuff. But, yeah. like, if you're trying to do it to grow your lats, like, let's think about the anatomy and how the lats actually work. Right. You know? Yeah. So, it's good to be, it's good to have good knowledge around that stuff. And it definitely mm-hmm. helps with technique and uh, just stimulating the correct muscle. Right. Yeah. Well, we, def- we definitely spent some, some much needed time on technique because that's, Definitely, probably what I consider like the most important thing before yeah. anything else. I'm sure you'll hear from us the rest of our existence of this podcast. Absolutely, maybe we'll even just do a whole, whole podcast just on technique. Yeah. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be a bad podcast. No. Honestly, honestly, it would probably be pretty good. Uh, but yeah, moving on, we so we talked about volume. Um, one thing that we wanted to touch on about volume is that like your frequency is determined by how much volume you do for each muscle group, right? So what is frequency then for people that aren't quite sure of that? So frequency is the number of times per week or per microcycle. Microcycle is just like Within a uh, week, a, a certain bout of training. Usually it's a week. Yeah. Um, but essentially frequency is just the amount of times per week, like amount of sessions per week that you target that specific muscle. So most of the time for people uh, usually do like legs twice a week. So target quads twice a week, target hands twice a week. So the frequency would be twice a week there. Exactly, right. And then there's smaller muscle groups like uh, the shoulders, like biceps, things like that, that are more mechanically disadvantageously positioned on the body um, that can handle like more stress and yet still not get as disrupted. Um, so with those kind of muscle groups, like, like the shoulders, like the biceps, they can handle more frequency. And also more volume. The volume comes before determining your frequency. Right. So with those small muscle groups, you can handle more volume, which means that you can handle higher frequency. So yeah. like for those, like three to four times a week, maybe. Mm-hmm. And like Max said, usually smaller muscles can recover a lot quicker so they can handle higher fre- frequency. So like say your MRV for shoulders is what, 20 sets a week, which mm-hmm. uh, that, that's just a number. Just a number. Yeah, just a number. And uh, so you could split that into... Uh, I can't even do math. Let's let's do eighteen. Say, <laughs> say your MRV. We're not mathematicians. No, not, I'm on spot here. Say your MRV for shoulders is eighteen sets. You could do six sets Monday. You could do six six sets Wednesday, and you could do six sets on Friday or Saturday, yeah, whatever. Right. So your frequency would be three times a week, mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be for smaller muscles because I know you're currently training back three times a week, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how do you have that kind of split up? Or like, what's your thought process behind that to give people a little, like a better understanding of like how you would determine your frequency or like, you know what I mean? Kind of like prioritize the muscle. Yeah. Like how would you program that into your uh, split? Yeah. So currently uh, in my training, I'm prioritizing upper body. So I'm having like alternating mesocycles where I'm prioritizing my back and then one that I'll be prioritizing my chest. Also throughout that, I'll be prioritizing, you know, doing a lot of shoulder and arm training. But, like, four back is a really good example. Um, usually, I would train back twice a week. And if I want to be doing more volume and I want to be pushing my volume requirements four back higher in order to get a better growth stimulus out of them, um, I, like, essentially, I won't want to do, like, 
who yeah. knows, like 12 sets of back in one session. Mm-hmm. Like the problem with that is that you'll very likely get like a pump and then you'll kind of like lose the pump and just be kind of doing extra volume and just yeah. that becomes junk volume. Junk volume yeah. So kind of what you want to do is like train until you have a really, really good pump and not really go far past that. Um, at least that's where I see that. Um, so like if I'm trying to prioritize a specific muscle group, usually that means that I want to do more volume and then because I'm doing more volume, taking more frequency would probably be a good idea. So I don't split it up a little bit. Yeah. Split it up a little bit, not do just a shit ton of volume in one workout. Although that would be okay. Um, there's definitely like a cutoff point as to how much volume you should do per session per muscle group. So like having like three days instead of two days, of training back means that I'll have like those three days to come in fresh mm-hmm. and be able to um, uh, just like attack that muscle group as best I can instead of being super fatigued from training, you know, already eight sets of back and I have like four more to go like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, like, you're just dead. Yeah, right. You're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. And another thing with frequency too, I, I always notice that when I trained with higher frequencies that I would... You're going about it a smart way because, like you said, you're like uh, like mesocycle to mesocycle. You're gonna prioritize back, maybe one. So like maybe for like I don't know if this is what you're doing, but for like this mesocycle with back being the priority, you have a frequency of three times a week. Mm-hmm. So like next mesocycle when you do chest, obviously, was well, your chest three times a week too? Then or probably. Is it, yeah, but like right now, while your back is three times a week, or is your right chest? Right now, no. My, yeah, exactly. My, my chest is more so on like MEV. Yeah, so that's where I'm going with that. So it's like, you can. Like, frequency is really good because you can ramp up the volume mm-hmm. and whatnot. But I feel like because at the end of that mesocycle, the volume gets so – like, it's going to end up getting really high mm-hmm. that you kind of have to then – then you you kind of have to put your back on the back burner mm-hmm. for the next mesocycle while your chest is on. Because, mm-hmm. like, frequency, I feel like – because I think volume is – like, personally, I think volume is a big driver of, like, overall fatigue. Mm-hmm. So, like, having higher frequency for six weeks or whatever – and then you're probably going to need a deload because to be able to do high frequency for a long time is just super fatiguing. And mm-hmm. it's going to end up like just being harder to, regret, pro, pro, harder to progress in general. Yeah. And I feel like one thing to touch on with that, too, is that the longer you target a specific muscle group and do a ton of volume for it, the less efficient you'll get at it. And yes. your body will kind of adapt like, yes. okay, well, I'm going to be doing 25 sets of back. Your so. MRV is just going to be through the roof by the end of yeah. that. So. You kind of have to deload to bring it back down so you can keep progressing with it. Yeah, and that's where, like, low volume, like, like times for specific muscle groups is really beneficial because then it brings down that specific muscle group's MRV, too. So you'll be right. able to do less sets, be more efficient about your training for it, which is why, like, you know, training MEV to MRV for all your muscle groups in your body probably wouldn't be a great course of action just because that's too much total stimulus anyways. Right, and you'll yeah. be just fatigued as shit. Yeah, not just, be able to really get much of anything that way. You'll be like crawling out of the weight room week to week. <laughs> Besides beginners, like beginners have a low, uh, a low, uh, like MRV in general, and they're able to grow super quickly. So yes. for beginners, like prioritizing muscle groups probably isn't a great idea. But like if you know you've been training for a few years, you know that there's a specific muscle group you want to grow more than others, then prioritizing it, doing more volume, doing more frequency would definitely be a good idea. Definitely, I agree. Uh, so that's kind of frequency. Uh, now, that's frequency and volume are kind of like, they kind of tie together. And then the other side of like training or like how hard you should be training, how much would be intensity. So 
that's like I mean you can program intensity week to week, obviously like with having like a reps in reverse reps in reserve scale. So like maybe like in the first week of your mental cycle you're training at a three IR or whatever. Mm-hmm. Second week, three IR, maybe third week, second. So it's like you're getting like that proximity to failure is getting uh smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, smaller like week to week. So you're kinda of ramp ramping up the intensity. So Progressive overload. Yeah, right? yeah, progressive overload basically. Well, not basically, that's what it that is progressive overload. Mm-hmm. So what me and Max we were kinda of talking about uh before the podcast and we thought it'd be really fun to talk about and interesting too is like with higher volume, usually you can get away with lower yeah, lower intensity. And then when you have uh higher intensity, so like maybe you're doing rep ranges in the five to eight, you're probably gonna want lower volume because if you're training with heavy weight and getting close to failure with like mm-hmm. intensity wise uh we like every session like your volume is gonna have to be lower because like your ability to recover is you, you're gonna need more to recover is mm-hmm. what i'm saying but right so like we were kind of saying that like intensity and volume are kind of more inversely cor- correlated than anything not yeah. like completely inversely correlated because then that that would mean that if you're doing high volume you have to be like 10 reps in reserve or something Yeah, I'm like not, we're not saying that, but we're definitely saying that, like... Anyway, uh, we are back. Um, Cameron just died there. But we kind of just wanted to touch on how intensity and volume are inversely correlated. So, like, if you're doing super high volume for something, unless you're prioritizing it, usually uh, you're going to have to do somewhat of a lower intensity. So that's why, like, um, like, if you take a look at RP, for example, like, they're really big on progressing volume. Uh, I think the reason that they're big on that is because it for sure works. Mm-hmm. And it means that, like, for for most people, like, most people don't have techniques super dialed in yeah. where that they're getting, like, super amazing set quality. And if you don't have really good set quality, um, you probably won't be pushing as close to failure as you think. So you're going to need more volume. Right. So you're going to need more volume. So more volume is, like, a for sure way for more growth, really. Um, unless you're more experienced with the exercises and are able to, you know, stimulate the target muscle better. So that's kind of why um, higher volume is more correlated with lower intensity mm-hmm. because, it, like, if you have a ton of volume and, let's say, you're less experienced, um, then you kind of need to be, like, further away from failure just because with the total amount of work you're doing, you're going to need to balance it out with fatigue. It's like if you're throwing a dart at a dartboard. So say you have 20 darts. Right. The chances of you hitting the bullseye with those 20 darts is probably higher than if you have three darts, mm-hmm. you know? So what I'm saying is, like... These are, like, under pressure you have, with three darts, you're Yeah, well, kind of, but, like, your, your, your chances of hitting a bullseye with 20 darts is higher, obviously, than hitting the bullseye with three darts. So, like, in a hypertrophy or, like, uh, lift, like, uh, working out sense, like, if you have 20 sets of chest, the chances of you getting a good stimulus to actually grow are higher than if you have only five sets. Right. You know, yeah, but totally. that's yeah, kind of the whole point of like, super volume. accurate with it right away. Too. Dude, exactly. So if you're eventually like way more experienced with the exercise, you're able to just absolutely kill it, stimulate the target muscle really well. Then that's like kind of using the analogy. Like that means you're just a really fucking good dart thrower. Yeah. And you're able to hit the bullseye every single time. And, like, that way you're able to, like, still get super, super good growth, but be more efficient about it. Right, exactly. Yeah? Yeah, no, I agree totally. Uh, I think as you, I mean, I think as you, like, progress and get more advanced or be, from beginner to intermediate, intermediate to advanced, I think 
you can start playing with like lower volume or because like chances of your technique being on point where you can hit those bullseyes every set, mm-hmm. you know, is higher. So like I think as you figure what works out for you like best like exercise selection wise and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh that also help determine like volume and intensity per session and like what you can recover from. Mm-hmm. So I I'd also say like um Something that would probably be smart to touch on, like, as far as the, like, beginner and immediate advanced thing, is that, like, beginners, uh, like, I feel like we should just touch on what those are, you know? Like, how, like knowing if you're beginning or not? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, per- personally, what I'd say about that is that, like, beginners are usually people that don't have their technique completely figured out. They might not have good mind-muscle connections. Yeah. Uh, things like that. And they're also, like, like, just, you can throw anything at them and they'll grow. Mm-hmm. but intermediate is kind of where like you have good technique um shit's getting a little bit harder for you you more factors are starting to come into yeah, play more yeah. factors starting to come into play you kind of have to put more thought towards like getting good growth yep um and that's kind of where like having really really good technique comes into play too because at that point you've been training for a while you've been doing the movements for a while you've uh good mind muscle connection you're able to push to failure a lot easier you know what Beginners failure can't do is that shit. yeah you know what right. failure is yeah so yeah yeah you know what failure is yeah exactly like that's that's one thing we were talking about before the podcast right yeah the uh people giving like i, I know uh dr mike on rp like he was talking about in a podcast how like, he was getting shit from some guy for not training close to failure but it's like how can you say that when like i don't know should we just talk about that yeah so okay how should we go about that um Wait, like, are you saying that, like, how he was saying that... Like, people give him shit that he doesn't train close to failure, but it's like, yeah, he does, like, a true 3 IR is hard as shit. Like, not, I wouldn't yeah. say hard as shit, but, like, oh, a true 3 IR. Well, I'd also say something important to note is that you don't know what someone's actual RIR looks like. Like, it's not like you're in their head, like, okay, well, I for sure have three reps left. Like, you can't always determine it by, um, Just by what it looks like externally. Right. Because, like, like, obviously, rep slowdown comes in there, but... Yeah, exactly. I was, I was telling you this in the gym, though, like, a couple weeks ago. It's like, I'm... Like, for me personally, like, my rep speed will start slowing down, mm-hmm. but I can keep pushing through, though. So, like, yeah. maybe, like, if, if someone was watching a video of me benching and, like, mm-hmm. saw my rep speed, you know? Yeah. Like, it's starting to slow down, but, like, I can grind through those. With yeah, like, decent, your Smith bench, like, like you, you'll be grinding, but you can still go another five reps. Yeah, like, I, I'll be grinding. I, that's just... I don't know, like what that like how that is about me or like what determines that but like what might look like a one iir for me or whatever might be only like a three and i might be able to get like three more right so it's like you can't really just judge people by like how hard they're training yeah or what what it looks like in the video i mean yeah but yeah that's just one little tangent we want to talk about but then going back what we're actually going to touch on was that like training the three rir is harder than people think right like people will like it's usually where people are trying to pick on the science-based crowd when like i mean think about it we're we're literally training in order to uh like like disrupt our anatomy to a certain extent yeah to provide an adaptation how is that not scientific yeah exactly and i think a lot of the like i think a lot of it comes from like the bro science terms of like you have to like reach failure. Absolute failure. Usually. Absolute failure, and Not well, technical. another thing when when we when we say failure, me and Max are kind of going by more of like a technical failure. Like so, what we mean by that is like 
technical failure might mean that you can do two more reps after that, but those two reps are going to be shit form. Yeah, probably not gonna be, you're not going to be using the target muscle. Yep. And so you're it's like doing a row. And then, rows, yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's what we mean by failure. And uh, a true, a true two or three RIR, like leaving two reps in the tank is damn, it's hard. Like that's a hard set. And people mm-hmm. think like, Oh, two reps shy failure isn't hard. Like, no, that's hard. And you don't know that, it's hard until you've actually reached failure. Mm-hmm. So like, that's kind of another thing going back to the intensity thing. Like I think like Max as obviously has a polylifting background where like he's pulled heavy weights off the floor and mm-hmm. had uh big, like has done heavy squats and shit where like he couldn't do probably another rep with good form and whatnot. So like he knows like what, a true zero IIR is, you know? And, and I for sure know what absolute failure yeah, is. Yeah, and I'm sure he knows that. Yeah, he knows the absolute <laughs> failures. So yeah. what I'm getting at is, like, I'm not condoning going out and testing your one rep max because, like, that can be dangerous. And in terms of hypertrophy, it's not probably optimal. But I think it is important to have a good idea of what true failure is because that also mm-hmm. can help you judge, like, how hard you're actually training. So, like, mm-hmm. for me, back in football, I used to, like, there's been plenty of times where I was squatting or deadlifting or whatnot, and I could not, for the life of me, get the bar off the ground, or I found myself at the bottom of the squat rack <laughs> with a couple with a couple hundred pounds on my back not being able to get up. So, uh, like, we know what failure is, and, like, we're not trying to, like, make ourselves sound like badasses, but, like, <laughs> when you know what true failure is, you know that a two IAR is still really hard and still plenty of stimulus to uh, potentiate muscle growth. Mm-hmm. I I just feel like a lot of times people that say that training to three IAR is not hard just haven't trained that way at all. Yeah, and just have constantly done like just just broed it out every single time. Just went to absolute failure each set, even if your form breaks down. Fucking keep going. Keep going. Yeah, just. Start using your freaking shoulder when you're doing the bicep curl type shit. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Just start that's swinging super, your whole body. Yeah, right. And that's just that. The, that's kind of defeating the purpose of what our goal is at the end of the day. Exactly. So, like, my recommendation would be before you say that three RAR isn't or isn't hard, then at least train like one mesocycle, progressing that way. Yeah. Starting at three RAR, going to zero. I agree, and uh, I'm not going to take credit for this, and. But I was listening to a podcast where Matt, like, there, it was Matt Jansen. He was talking, or someone asked him, like, how do you, like, tell a client, like, or how do you explain to a client what true failure is? And he and he had a really good way of pointing it out because, like, obviously, like I said before, I don't want any of you guys, well, I mean, I, I mean, if you're powerlifting and, like, whatnot, and it's in your program, sure, but, like, maxing out is dangerous so and for like i said like i said before for hypertrophy wise it's not really optimal but a good way to like experience what maybe like true failure is is going on a bike so like a stationary bike and pedaling i listen to this too (laughs) yeah pedaling as hard as you can and while you're pedaling as hard as you can continue turning the like well like the resistance up on the bike until you literally cannot turn the pedal anymore because your legs are just so fried like that should give you a good like sense and like feeling of like what failure is within a muscle because like obviously like when you're pedaling on a bike your quads are doing a lot of the work Mm -hmm. and if you keep ramping the intensity up to the point where you can't even like pedal anymore Mm -hmm. like that's failure like i don't know how else it's a much safer way of achieving yeah that's why i recommend that because it's a fit it's a safe way of uh experiencing what that feels like Mm -hmm. and i think 
knowing what that feels like is important because training training to a close proximity of failure is important mm-hmm. and yeah i i couldn't agree more like like if you don't know what actual failure is then it's hard to like guess where your rr is yeah exactly and that's why a lot of people say oh three ir isn't hard because mm-hmm. they probably don't know what a true it all comes back to not knowing what a true zero rir rir is mm-hmm. you know so people that are saying oh three ir isn't hard it's because their three rir is probably like a 10 exactly yeah you know and but, that's 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 what pisses me off honestly about it is just people dude, yeah and i'm sure people are like just full-on echo chamber when they do that too like if they would go ahead and try it out like see what it's like mm-hmm. what they do is just stop it way short and be like well that was three rir this train fucking sucks yeah it's like <laughs> dude you literally fucking no just, yeah this moral of the story is don't hate on the rir system yeah if it, you don't know totally what the hell makes sense it dude. makes sense and yeah. yeah there's nothing really else to be said about that i feel like yeah i couldn't agree more um all right uh should we move on to the other questions too and just kind of make it a part two yeah before i actually have one more thing about rir too okay the reason why me and max train with RIRs are pretty much an RP, same shit, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, is because it allows us to progress week to week and continue progress throughout a mesocycle. Because mm-hmm. kind of back to the intensity and volume thing, if you overshoot in the first week, you might be able to recover that first week, and you might be able to recover that second week, but if you keep overshooting and not having a plan of progression, that's when you hit plateaus, and that's when people are, say, they hit their genetic limit when they're... 14 or whatever it's like yeah no dude you're just overshot your cns is fried and yeah. just, you literally just can't do more because you kind of went about it like a dumbass so or you're just chronically overshooting and yeah expecting your body to adapt yeah. to something that's and in the beginning when you're newer you might be able to get away with that but mm-hmm. as you start progressing and as you figure out your volume your your the intensity you prefer to train at your frequencies mm-hmm. and stuff once you have that figured out you kind of need a system in place that progresses you intensity wise week to week so that you can continue progress Mm -hmm. also something i kind of want to just bring up on this intensity volume type type deal is kind of like how has our training like recently kind of helped our decisions on what we kind of want to focus on more like volume or intensity you know what i mean yeah you know what i'm asking yeah i do so kind of back to like because we're kind of both experimenting with lower volume right now. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that kind of all ties back in. Like, for me, it all ties back to, like, obviously, like, I'll never be, I'll never say that my technique's perfect because mm-hmm. I think there's always room for improvement when it comes Absolutely. to technique. So, like, but my technique has been getting a lot better, mm-hmm. and I've been focusing on it, like, way more than I ever have. Mm-hmm. So, like, doing so has kind of made me realize that I don't need as much volume and that, and with less volume, like we said before, you can kind of start ramping up the intensity. So like for me, that's kind of how like, for example, a couple of weeks ago I was doing some chest flies or whatever. And like, I did like a set of 20 and like I stopped because I was tired. I didn't stop because my chest failed. I stopped because I was tired. So then I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm going to start experimenting with heavier weight because it kind of solidifies that like true failure or like mm-hmm. true proximity to failure and then with that, my volume decreased because if I trained that hard with 
that much volume. I would be fried, like we said before. Yeah. So that's kind of how it changed my, uh, like, how I'm how I've been going about my training lately. But I I am definitely in the same boat. I feel like it's kind of just because of the people we've like kind of expanded. Well, we've kind of expanded our like learning potential, as in like people that we've been following and shit. Yeah, like Nick. Nick, yeah, yeah. Nick Loft, shout out. Yeah, shout um, out. Dude's got immaculate form on literally everything. <laughs> yes. I like when I train, I literally think about like, I don't know, it's motivating. It, yeah. It's it's motivating to see other people do that shit. Like I, I'd rather see someone with crazy good form and mm-hmm. 100% control than squat six plates or whatever. Yeah. And it, with it, shit form. Like, and, that's not impressive. And it's to crazy me. seeing the intersection of like crazy good form and huge he, loads that they're using. Like, yeah. You don't see that shit. No, you don't. And he does that and it's, it's mind blown. Cause yes. like, that's, Okay, like, the dude's got perfect form and a shit ton of weight on that bar. Yeah. It's like, that, like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, definitely changes my perspective on training. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I like, back to how, like, kind of it's influenced me a little bit. So, during my past, like, massing phase, kind of, like, back at school, when I was doing my last massing phase, it's like I was progressing volume quite a bit quicker than what I'm going to do coming up. Um and usually what that would kind of like kind of kind of like i would catch myself too i'd be like uh I'll like in a workout and i have like a, like a bunch of sets of some specific muscle group and like the there were just some um some sets that like i would kind of just half ass not not fully half ass but for sure not get the same amount of stimulus out of them that i'd prefer um and that like is smart because if you're really trying to be efficient about things and get as much out of each set as you possibly can, um, there's no room for just half-assing sets and not really going close to failure with those. Yeah. Um, and not having good technique either. Like if you have a question about technique, it's definitely smart to stop and think about it and think about what muscles you're taxing, maybe watch some videos on it. Um, it limits the amount of darts you have to throw at the dartboard. True. You know? True. And it increases, yeah, and and like the better you get your technique, the better your accuracy is, your the better yeah. your precision is as a bodybuilder. Right. Um. But yeah, kind of like I've been experimenting more with lower volume too because I had a maintenance phase recently, um, and I was kind of forced to you know have a specific amount of sets, like lower amount of sets, and I couldn't be like, okay, well, well this week didn't go that good. I can just add volume next week and it'll be just fine. Like I was stuck to that specific amount of volume. And it kind of forced me to like really understand where my proximity to failure was and just to make sure that I was getting like as much stimulus out of each side as I possibly could. And like now after doing that maintenance phase, I feel like my idea of where RIR actually is for me is like way better, like way better because I was like forced to. It forces you to really dial it in, focus on the Mm -hmm. quality of each set, each rep. Everything, yeah, yeah, because yeah, otherwise, if you're always increasing volume and never doing a maintenance phase or something like that, like, like I feel like it's just kind of reverse psychology. Like, okay, well, I got a bunch of volume, I can kind of fuck off in this set and still get a, a, a decent amount of growth. Right. When, like, it really should be the opposite. You you should try to do as little volume as possible to keep fatigue low and get the most out of it. Get the most out of it. Actually, go to your RIRs instead of going to like six RIR instead of three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But that. yeah, it's kind of where, uh, like my training has been going and like, just, just to say too, like the stimulus I've been getting from them is unreal. Like I was still getting mega sore during my 
maintenance phase. Getting crazy pumps of one set or crazy something. Crazy pumps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, from one set. Like, there's no way you could do that if you're, like, half-assing it, not going to proper RER. Yeah. And I was just, like, I definitely realize now, like, looking back on my past massing phase, I was for sure like that then. Mm-hmm. Does um, that change your, like, perspective on how you're going to add volume, though, now? I'd say so, yeah. Because, um, like, I know we both agreed that volume obviously drives growth. It's mm-hmm. one of the main, like, things that, like... It, like a for sure way of Yeah, it's a for growth. sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's for sure. Like, mm-hmm. Now that you know that, like, the lower volume is still doing you justice, like, mm-hmm. are you going to be more, like... Are you going to have a harder time, like, adding that extra volume? Or are you, are you going to save it for the end, like, when it's really going to do you good? Well, for sure in the last week, I'll absolutely just pound the volume and just destroy myself the last week. But, I mean, um, I feel like now I'm going to use more so, like, like pumps, disruption, soreness, things like that to determine how much volume I'm going to do. Because, mm-hmm. like, if I do, like, like two sets on JM press or something and just get an enormous pump, yeah, like, doing an extra set of that probably won't really add much besides just more fatigue and then and then i'll just be stepping into junk volume so kind of like i'm planning on using more uh like pump and disruption in that workout to kind of determine how much volume i'm going to do for that muscle group in that day yeah um i'll still have like planned volume so for sure i'll have um at least the same amount of volume as a week prior right yeah Um, you don't be going backwards right yeah i won't be going backwards but if anything, like, like, why increase it if you don't need to? Exactly. That's kind of how right. I've been going about my training too. True. And your training, I think, a slight difference. I just always know. So like you kind of have more of like a, a set plan of week to week, maybe, or is it more undulating now? Like, what as far as RIR goes? Uh, maybe not RIR, but like volume, because like my volume is always in like like I'll add volume set wise like mm-hmm. the like last two weeks of like a training block for but, me. But you won't earlier on. No, I don't. I like early on. I just. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not like I'm not saying I'm I'm not opposed to it or anything. It's just kind of mm-hmm. how I always train. Like, just because like I have like personally have a hard time holding myself back when it comes to like RIR. So like maybe if, like like I've oftentimes found myself training to failure in the first week, and yeah. it's kind of just stupid because it kind of sets me back. But the, like what I do to get around that is kind of like I kind of keep my volume lower then because mm-hmm. like I kind of kind of recover from it then you know. Yeah. But if I was just ramping up volume and then training the failure a lot, like we said earlier, I would just be fried. Mm-hmm. So like for me, I kind of always keep volume static until later on in the mezzo when yeah. I know a deload's coming. Well, I mean, I feel like that kind of brings up the idea of... Lower volume training in general. Yeah, and just like the fatigue you accumulate from sets versus intensity. Right, yeah. Which is kind of like the next question we were going to do. Yeah, that is actually... All right, guys, so this has been episode three. This has only been part one. We're going to get into a second part because we've already been recording for 50 minutes. And uh, I think we can have another, like, really, really good conversation based on these two questions that we're a little more on the fence about and something that we can kind of talk through and see where we can get with them. Yeah, a little bit of bro science probably come into play. So, and science stuff. So, like, both sides kind of be fun to talk about. Yeah. So, anyways, guys, thank you for listening in. Catch you for part two.